Buckle up, family. Like I said, I wanted to really make up for not having a pod last week. So two pods this week and was lucky enough to catch up with my friend and UCLA grad school homie, Dr. Rima Vassar, affectionately known as Dr. Rima, who has gone from the professoriate and just being an academic to being the chair of the Board of Trustees at Michigan State University. But I wanted to talk to Rima because her scholarship has long been centered in the best ways to get parents engaged in the schooling of their children and being able to advocate for themselves when often it is the case that schools would rather parents be uninformed about the ways to best advocate for their children. So in these times where there's a push-pull about how much power or agency parents should have over what happens in the school, I thought she'd be a perfect person to talk to. And of course, she does not disappoint. So buckle up and enjoy coming up next, my conversation with Dr. Rima Vassar, PhD, Chair of the Board of Trustees at Michigan State University. Taking Notes with Dr. John Carroll is powered by Bixie Pots, makers of high-quality shea butter that keeps the body moisturized for the whole day. Visit BixiePots.com today. All right, it is a pleasure today to be able to have on taking notes, a person who, when I was in grad school and walked into my first meeting in grad school, had on the fly business suit, and though she was a student, operated in a way as if she had already been, you know, earned her doctorate and was leading all things and could not be told anything unless she wanted to do it. I have come to know her as a great scholar. She has become an even better leader and again just a pleasure to be able to catch up with the dr rima dr rima vassar welcome to taking notes it is so good to see you and be able to oh, oh my after too long it's been a long time i don't know last time i was able to just give you a hug was it any other is it yeah probably it's definitely a whichever one i last went to uh i'm i'm Speaking of that, I'll be making my return because, you know, our boy, Dr. Tyrone Howard, uh, a.k.a. My, my Sherpa, is now leading said organization. So, you know. And do a big thing. So, you know, I'm going to need you to show up um, before and during. Uh, he, he may be one of the program co-chairs, which is a lot of work, by the way. Uh, but who would say no to him? Correct. Correct. You, you don't can. Say, you, you say yes before you even know what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I'll be there. And then once you're in it, you're like, okay, all right, all right, okay. But it's all gonna need you because you want to make sure that we pay homage. Both of us, we wouldn't have made it without this that that fellow right there. Absolutely, absolutely. He hit me up once it was, you know, uh going to be slated to be in Philly and said, you know, I'm, I'm gonna need your, your expertise. I said, whatever, like you say, done, done and done. Say less, as the children say, whatever you say less. <laughs> say less. Yeah. So no, I'm gonna need you. He, and UCLA is um, really, really fortunate to have kept them all these years. Yes. And to your point, I, I think the reason why I had any confidence was because of how he carried himself in those, in those halls. So. Absolutely. It was modeling 101. 101. Yes. So, so let me start there. I want to understand how, you know, someone like me started as a teacher, how you navigated and and decided when you wanted to move kind of out of the classroom into the professoriate and then now you know you have this role um probably unprecedented speaking of black history month as the chair of the michigan state board of trustees how did you know when it was time to take those steps where you you know keep moving further and further away from the classroom which you served in for so long yeah so well i think part of my so my highest ideal, even after love, is freedom. Mm -hmm. And I crave, run, relish. Um, I I'm pursuing freedom at all times, and so I try to position myself in life. I always try to position myself in a place that would give me the most opportunities because opportunities become freedom. So I think it was Oprah a long time ago said preparation plus opportunity equals luck. And I'll try to be lucky as much as possible. I wanted to prepare myself for whatever was next. To your point though, I didn't ever know what was next, right? So well, I kind of just moved through life. Like, okay, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher from the time I was, I think, five. I thought to be Diana Ross, but, um, I can't sing, so there's that. But then also, she and I were, she's little. Like, she and I were probably way the same when I was in kindergarten. So I thought, yeah, she's not aspirational. So I let that go. And immediately I thought, I'm going to be a teacher. And so I, all my life, prepared myself for that, right? I paid attention to what teachers did and didn't do. Even in fifth grade, like critiquing the teacher and her moves, right? Um, so, once I became a teacher, I wanted, I wanted people to see what I didn't have. I went to a predominantly white school. My brother and I were the two black kids in the school. And all the walls and all the books had um, prominent white folks in them. I didn't see myself anywhere in that school. There was one little section of one little book that had a paragraph and, um, it was a guy in some torn clothes and he was in the field with a long, uh, it wasn't a hoe. What's those little things that go around? Like a sickle? A sickle. And they talked about slavery. I thought, wow, 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 wow. Like the reductionist um, and revisionist history of it all um, made me think, I don't want any child to go through school like this. I, I want them to, to see themselves in what I decide to teach, how I decide to teach it. 
And so I majored in English because that's the place you could do that, right? Eric, there's authors from across the world um, that you could introduce children to. And so I did that. Well, right when I started to teach, there was this move for heavy testing. Um, and so they started to script our curriculum. Like, in my last year of teaching, they wanted to step out of my classroom and into the, the classroom that was teaching 10th grade, 11th grade, I mean, 10th, uh, 10th grade English, honors English. And where I stopped my students, that teacher should pick it up. That's the opposite of freedom. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and not to mention the the racist landscape that was happening at the same time. There were books that were banned at that time in California. Um, Malcolm X, I Malcolm X was banned in the district in which I worked. All of Toni Morrison was banned. Um, and so my freedom was eroding. And that's how I ideal. So what's next? I got a degree in school counseling. I can counsel, and I'm good at counseling. So, if I can't be in the classroom, then I can make sure that um, students are well enough to endure the trauma that's happening in these classrooms. Because we always talk about trauma and being trauma informed is the trauma outside of school, but most kids have a lot of trauma in mm-hmm. um, and schools are like trauma. And so I, you know, let me figure that part out. So I did that. For a long, 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 long time, I thought, you know what? I can lead a school. So I became a principal um, and did that for three years. Didn't like it. Senior, uh, to our offline conversation, there's not a lot of freedom in any of these roles. I think the freest I was was a, as a counselor, but the structure of schooling um, is one in that you have to support a system mm-hmm. that inherently and inevitably necessitates the persistence of our failure, of, of Black folks' failure. And so to be the head of that is kind of problematic, but also principals don't have a lot of freedom. Really, it's you're stuck in the, in the middle of people who are pushing you this way, people who are pushing you that way, and you're constricted. It's a really, that was the most confining role that I ever took in education. I said, never mind on that. And then I thought, um, I'll go back to counseling, which is the free estate. And during that time, UCLA was hiring. And they wanted someone who had been in schools and probably someone who was in schools to help in the teacher um, prep program, TEP. So I thought, okay, fine, I'll do that. And I, I took that role and still stayed connected to school I was still a part-time counselor at a middle school and um decided while I'm here I might as well get a PhD (laughs) I decided to get like literally life was unfolding like that it's not like I had a master plan this is what I'm gonna do I'm just always pursuing freedom and so where is it free let me get there let me get there and when I figure out that it's not that free I either retreat or fight and in this moment I'm in a fight, right? Because I can't retreat, but um, right. generally I'll retreat. Like, okay, well, I got other things to do in my life besides fight y'all and I'll just you know, do something else. But like not be a principal. But in this current role, that I don't even know how I got here. So again, I'm always thinking about education as um, 
the elixir for all that ails. Mm -hmm. If you think of anything that's suppressive within society, the salve is going to be education. That was the trust quality power of education is the only way we change the world, right? And so when I entered the, the professoriate, I thought, okay, now I'm teaching teachers. So exponentially, I'm able to affect change, right? So I'm teaching the kids who are going to be in classrooms. Every year, I might have 190 students as a high school teacher. If I'm teaching a teacher, 190 students, and their mindset is set on freedom, just think about how that continues to read out generation after generation from that one point of, of contact with that one particular of who was, you know, treating to me. So I did that, and I love a professor, a full professor, I wouldn't say university and leadership. So I don't want people to have the same experiences that I had as a, a principal or an um, administrator. And then someone's like, hey, why don't you run for a school board? Okay, why would I do that? Right? Like, <laughs> well, you get to set policy. Mm. I thought, ah, now this is because there's a lot of potency in policy. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Dr. Lauren Lassen Williams talks about it all the time. Like, white folks love paper. So, what's written down, there's a lot of power in what's written. And so, I thought, okay, well, let me think about it. And we went through all the scenarios, all the different schools, and where you have the most power. And the most power was at um, the three research, um, the research ones in, in Michigan. So, Michigan. The University of Michigan, Michigan, and Wayne Well, I knew I wanted to work at Wayne State. That's my dream job. And I can't really go in and work there. Well, it has just a different, we can talk about that in a minute. It's just a different tasting amount that's a little better. So it, I just went to where Max Johnson went. Mm -hmm. My old school EOL account is Prima G32. That's for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, mom went to that school too, so um, I thought, you know what, the place to go, so I went and I um, I ran and I got point four million people saying yes, probably at Michigan State University. So hi, what freaked me out is when I called my name, my government name, and they said, competition, I didn't What? <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> I'm an educator. I'm not right. a politician, but I guess if you run in the statewide election, you get people to vote for you. It, then there's politics, and what has let me know that there's politics and that I'm a politician is when I became the chair, which I I am the first black woman chair of Michigan State University. With first, though, comes a lot of growing pains, and so um, and a lot of politics. So I'm happy to learn very quickly. How to make sure that policy sticks, and then also how to um, to navigate politics that are always for in a country that's black racism. So it, it's endemic in every system, in every institution, um, structural head, and much with every other university or college. Um, I have to think about ways to combat that for me and all the minorities on that campus. And what does that do? And and the administrators are my own side. Like, it's a big, big 
good job. Um, but I actually enjoy it. That's great to hear. And so I got to imagine that when you look all the way back to, you know, again, when I first met you and, and doing your research that was heavily uh, steeped in parent engagement and helping parents understand their agency and developing their agency, now you're in a spot where you really can give them the game and make sure that at the very least, they know they, they've been left breadcrumbs from the beginning all the way up to the top. Yeah. yeah so I think my vast experience in education allowed me to do exactly what you said. Right. I, I'm picking myself in the club a lot. Not in um, all, all um, the ways that other people do club. Right. Too, right. But for knowledge and resources, um, it's about this, right? We interface with schools from a place of knowledge, um, exchange goes differently. And your student gets things that um, they might not have that you not know. We're not in the business of necessarily um, educating on individual. I think of a whole to have this whole all need cutter and I'll have to say in order to go through. So if you have anyone who has any kind of personality by being black, um, that is a, it's a, an issue, right, for our students. So when parents go in, they don't necessarily know educationally, right? You and I, are, and it's great, great. We know the nomenclature. We're going to know what um, what assessment needs to be done if your child is in class. We're going to we're going to know what it means to have an IEP and, and what those um, combinations and modifications mean for us, but also like human beings, like how that should show up. We're going to know that. We don't think we're going to Right. I, I'm working on um, self-real estate for a living. Know that. They shouldn't know that. Right. They shouldn't, right? And yet, you have a curtailing of um, educational equity for your child in that space. So, my work with parents um, began at Pasadena Unified. So, in Pasadena, a, a small elementary school called Altadena Elementary, it was 30% black. Which is broken, right? That's a big number. It is. I think about Detroit went through like chocolate city, right? And we're talking and now we're freaking over here from Africa. And there's a big migration to the South, right? Um, to return back south. Yep. So you have places in like Altadena where you might be 12 and 14% of the overall population. And you're not getting the attention, you're not a significant uh, population, right? You're not getting the attention of federal that would come with that. So, um, that person at that time saw that black students were performing lower than parallel students, those who were learning how to go in English, right? English was a second language. Right. Black students were performing lower than those students. Um, 
they were performing the lowest in bath. Um, and that um, their discipline breaks were disproportionate, right? They were being sent out to sent out of class more often. Um, and look at it, it wasn't everything them, they were obviously out of class in all or being sent to another class and they bank that, right? Um, which I want to say more to me is carceral and it's actually criminal. I and I believe that we should start to sue for all those minutes missed, quite frankly, those class actions uh, against all of his district or disreport. It's so funny you say that because I had that same rant about the young man in Texas with the locks and how he's he been. Yeah, like I just hope that he has a great lawyer because the case is just, like you say, criminal. That from I think the beginning of the school year till now, he has largely been on in school suspension, not been in his normal classes. And why do you get away? But how do you get so? Double standard of all, right? Because let's turn, let's have now. Stay Right. Right. They would have been after the parents for the the truancy. Yeah. But, and the neglect. Here I'm thinking. So in California at the time that I, I got my um, counseling, uh, high school counseling career in 2014, they were still in a truancy Mm. Right, so your child comes in the door, at least out the back, you like that your child off. They don't want to be at school. They want to with the child choice ticket and the parent with with a fine or community service or parenting class. Mm. But you don't kick a, a child out for having a hairstyle. It's I don't, I don't know. Right? Like you, you do know the time it takes for what he did come back to school with, with the with the roles and the whole like what? Come on, money, Correct. Amazing. We take the last time for this particular style. It's not like so. For example, then let's just take that period. In Altadena, that period by the end of the as I, I I worked with them, she would have known what the federal regulations are around expulsion and suspension. She would have talked with his team to figure out an alternative. The suspension, but she also would have had other parents go with her. Mm -hmm. So, like Altadena, he created a collective. It a, it's a village, right? It takes a village. It has to be. So, the collective, say you, oh, Johnny, you messed up. You cannot go on this field trip unless your dad comes or your mom comes. Then your mom and your dad cannot come. For whatever reason, they're working, they're chilling. I don't care what they're doing. They're just not coming to this field trip. Another parent would say, I'll, I'll, I'll be done. I definitely can come, I'll come. Another parent would say, I'm sitting in IP with you, right? Um, I know this part of the, the language, I'm going to help you. Another parent would say, this 
I know Dirk cutting up and his mom can't come, but I'm going to come and sit in the classroom and observe and take notes and see where John is having, um, where he's encountering problems, right? And then I'm going to have a meeting with you and Johnny's mom and the whole team to figure out how Johnny can be better, right? Um, knowing that the ways that Johnny can be better is the school can be better. <laughs> like, right. The, the onus and the responsibility is on the school. Johnny's a kid. He's in second grade. He's in counseling problems. He is not the problem. And that shift was a big eye-opening moment for those parents. And they were like, ah, so systemically, we're having this, this shared experience that's rooted in anti-blackness, right? Because Johnny's mom didn't know that Janet's mom was having the same experience, that Luther's mom was having the same experience, that all these kids were having the same things happen to them and they were being treated in the same way. They were, you get isolated, particularly if your numbers are small, you get right. isolated. But even just by life, you get isolated. You, have to do, you can't, you don't know what other people are doing. Right. And you're not necessarily showing up saying I have, you know, a bad kid because you're a bad kid. That, that's what the next step to that conversation is. Right. So no one's saying I'm having a problem over here with Johnny and, and Shannon wouldn't be able to know then that, you know, you're having the same problem because who's, who's confessing these things? When you get in a room and someone gives you enough data to let you know that you're not in isolation and this is a problem that needs to be solved at the school level, then it changed the whole game, right? I gave them the playbook, right? I gave them all the secrets. I, I showed them all the, the, the acronyms and what they meant. I showed them how to read um, the test data, not for just what our students did or didn't do, but what they didn't do according to their peers, what they didn't do in their grade level band, what they didn't do or did do um, nationally. Like I, I gave them the whole game. We met at churches, basements, people's homes. Um, we went, and I went where they went. Like I, I'd go to a YMCA game because that's where parents are going to be, or go to church because that's where the parents are going to be. Like I had to go where they were. They weren't necessarily coming to school because why? Right. Right. Why would you? School's not a so, safe place. Well, it's a side of time for some of them, too. Correct. Right? Particularly if you have a bad kid and now you're a bad parent. I'm still, I'm still in a lot of that. Let me go. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So the chest scores increased that year. 96%. Mm. Wow. For black students. But you know, if black students win, who else wins? Everybody. Mm-hmm. Whenever we're the tide that lifts all boats. So if we go up, everybody goes up. So after that, they're like, what is happening in Alpha So the district then was like, So can you help us create a district wide parent collection? Mm. So I did that for the next two years. Um and now in Pasadena, any school that has a 10% black parent population or black student population or higher is assigned um, a, uh, what is it called, liaison. And you've seen that, you know, with Title III and Title II and Title I money, 
Title II and no, Title III and Title I. There's earmarks for parent engagement, right? If you have a high ELL population, by percentage, like 10%, you get a parent liaison at that school who can help you organize those parents and get them um, engaged. If you're a Title I school, low income folks, you then get a parent liaison to help you organize and, and get those parents engaged. If you're Black and low performance, what does that mean? And in, in places like Pasadena, they were the lowest performing out of everybody. No dollars committed to organizing those peers and helping them navigate the school on their children's behalf. So all of that work, um, to me, is the work of, of liberation and freedom. If you think about every civil rights movement, there are parents who decided that they wanted something different for their children. And then black parents, particularly. And then, and and I go back to this because the young people, once you start the movement, they gonna take over the movement, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But even then, parents had to be like, okay, you right, you gotta ride with it, absolutely, because. I've seen it during COVID. I was working with student leaders um, on inequity and all that good stuff. And uh, one student had gotten suspended. Now you at home, how you suspended kids? Because that's how the only you... tool. That's often the only tool in the belt. Bitch, you can't have nothing else. You can't think of anything else. Like you literally are suspending kids at, at home, giving them detention at home. You see how crazy it sounds? Exactly. But he said he got attention because his mama told him during class, come up me with these groceries. What do you think he did? Of course he went and helped with the groceries. <laughs> what? <laughs> come back in here. We're in class. If you leave, you're getting your attention. You can give me the home. Right. <laughs> I'll take that. Absolutely. Face the consequences of not answering my mother? What? Yeah, these are, these are not real toys. These are not real toys. But the end of everything, at the bottom of it, are parents. Right? Even when we have on-fire youth who are making big moves, it's because the parents have said, okay, I don't really agree, but I'm going to let you go ahead and look out your passing, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the for me, again, freedom being the highest ideal, I'm thinking about this next move, with the current next move, that because the attack, we had that George Floyd moment. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, outrage, disturbance, can't believe it. They were marching in Australia. Yeah. yeah. About what was happening here. Yeah. Do you know, Australia is the most racist country I've ever been to. In my life. Right, they got their own issues. But they think, nah, we ain't that far. Like what we do with these aborigines ain't what y'all doing over here. We, man. Can you believe it? Like they were out here stomping. Okay. So we had that whole international outrage and people then rushed for DEI coordinators and DEI VP 
DEs and um, we wanted DE and I, I hate you for that, DE and I strategies and we wanted uh, toolkits and um, strategic plans. And immediately the backlash was severe. Mm-hmm. Take all this down and take down, because I told you Malcolm X and um, Tony Morgan were banned. Well, it became part of the AP exam. And so that district had to then allow me to teach them. I was teaching the AP, 11th grade AP. And so once those books showed up on the AP exam, they're like, oh, well, then take it off the band list, right? We, we don't have to go ahead and get it to because they, they want access. Well, then we just saw then a whole, let's start banning these books, like, right? Like it was, the backlash has been fierce. This whole CRT in the classroom. Who's teaching CRT in the classroom? Correct. Correct. Who is this? Who? I've never seen it in my whole entire life. Correct. And the teaching force is 84 to 86 percent. Been that way. White women. Been that way. And going to stay that way. They're teaching CRT? Correct. I mean, where is the rest rampant? Right. Right. Where is Even if they're teaching one principle of it. Okay, because it's necessary. Like it's applicable, if anything. Like if you really want to drill down to it and say, okay, this teacher, based on their training, saw something in the classroom, George Floyd, and said, you know what? This helps us explain that to high school students. I love it. Right. But that, at best, that's what's happening. But there's nobody out here breaking out the Derrick Bell annals and... No. Doing chapter and verse electives on. No, it's not happening. Not in any school USA. Yeah. No, absolutely not. But I do want to get you on that t- before we get out of here. And we're going to have to do this. No, I want to ask you real quick. Where did you learn about CRT? You know what I did in grad school. <laughs> and not just grad school. PhD. PhD. Not my master's. No, no. And you got multiple masters. Certainly not my masters in teaching and instruction. No, no CRT. Stop it. Ernest Rell, Tyrone Howard. Yes, PhD program. No, Lord, no. Put me on. Correct. Correct. All those I had that we were blessed to have at UCLA, mind because not every PhD is correct. Because you got to have the scholars who do it. And UCLA just happened to have about four, five, six. So this, this, this backlash is filled with propaganda and untruth. So there's got to be a, a moment where we decide enough is enough again and we rise up. And I think, again, the power in the opinion, particularly Black parents. Mm-hmm. If you want to study any movement, if you if you're in in um oh I don't know some little small country deciding that you want you know to, to rally like your rights, you have to study the United States. You have to come through black people in these United States to figure out what that movement looks. 
But that's why the fight, you know that. That's why the fight, because if you look at the movements in this country, right, and, you know, people will hate it, but any minoritized group in this country at some point allied with what black people were doing to figure out how to get free, to your point. Jewish, Asian, Latino. And one of, the main, one of the main ones was in your neck of the woods in Detroit, you know, where there was an example. You know, the young young Asian dude gets killed, you know, because he's an auto work and he's career. Everybody comes together. These are the examples, yes. to your point. That, but, you got to come to us. We're the pioneers. Right. And to your point, we're the danger. Right. Because if people then study that blueprint and they're all trying to get free, now there's chaos. And those who have cultivated their privilege and power over centuries off the backs of the disenfranchised, right? What's the saying? You don't give up power without a fight. Well, no, power does not see power without, I forget what the, the next part of that is. But to your point, it's going to be, it's on and popping, right? Like, it, and, and it is. I've been nonviolent since nineteen ninety nine. You got to think of smart ways, yes, to fight and not, you know, take it for real, real to the street. Because and they they try the point where you be like, okay, so yeah, they got I've been nonviolent. You pushing me all the way to the limit. But if you if if we want to see what we deserve, we got to go back to right here. They're literally the ones who have time and time again decided enough is enough. So I'm curious then, how do you see that? What's an example of that as you fight for the continued inclusion of foundational, you know, black authors and black, you know, studies in schools that are absolutely necessary as the fight against DEI continues, right? Because these states aren't playing. Texas and Florida are not playing. Wisconsin not far behind, you know, and it's only going to spawn copycat movements of getting rid of DEI-based programming. So what does that fight look like? Yeah, so I, you know, I'll say over and over out with DEI, with the DIE, because it's been co-opted. Um, you know, and it's watered down. And people think they're really out here they're doing good work when you're actually just a check and not check is being that one little check mark is now even under attack. Right. So you got to go back to the real work. It's not a position. We just, we go back to our pre, our prelim conversation. In these structures, if you're expecting, where did all you that you cannot mm. dismantle the, the master's house with his tool. And so if you are expecting that he's giving you something that is going to destroy him, a DEI coordinator, for example, you're disillusioned. Like you need to get, you need to go back to the black. The black print is always outside of the structure. This DEI attack, let him have it. Cool. Take your position back. Because actually I feel like they're um, a hawk. Of, 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 um, of comfort to us. Like, no, we're making progress. You can be on any of these committees. You can write a whole strategic plan, all the recommendations. We, 
we do culture and climate surveys all the time for why we don't use any of that data to make any changes. So you have wasted your good time, your good money to look like you did something. And you didn't even, and so what they're attacking is the look of doing something. Let them know that. And instead, divert our energy into the real work. Go back to the black brick. What did that look like? Well, you know, she would have to ask for them. How soon meeting. Mind you, my speech is about, like, my, my comments at the end. I'm quoting Dr. Martin King Jr. through the whole thing. So they're, they disrupted all of that and, um, you know, divest, divest, and, you know, the police advanced twice. One or uh, one speaker, a young woman's uh, student. And then second, when the, they all started to change, they advanced twice. They said, no, no, the police don't do this. Like, these are our students, right? We don't put the police on our, our students. And honestly, as much as it's my meeting, it's theirs, right? And so, and what I said was, I'll actually um, honor the purpose of being. So if that's what you're calling this, I'm quoting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the author of Civil Disobedience. Mm -hmm. Let them speak. That's what I said. Let them speak. And I waited until their chants were over and I finished my comments. Like, you, at this point, we have to know that the fight is going to look different than a DEI strategy. And sure, there's always ways to, sub to subvert. So Malcolm X was banned. I was like, what? First of all, Malcolm X changed my life to be great. Mm-hmm. my life. There's not a person I know who, who, when they read the autobiography, is not changed in some way. It's the most research. It's the most researched um, autobiography in the world, right? It's super, super popular. Um, it changed my life in because it went back to those pants in Oxygena. I realized that my experience in those halls where there was nothing that looked like me and I looked like I had contributed nothing to society, that that was actually a um, inter that was an international experience that multi-black racism and white supremacy were international and certainly, um, within the United States, I wasn't having an experience by myself, which is so empowering. Well, it was banned. Now, I went into English to teach, to teach students about Malcolm X, and they had the same kind of, from the Jesus moment that I had. Right. It's banned? Right. There was a, there was a clause. Oh, I've got to go to the policy. There's a clause. Any book can be excerpted. Like, you can use an excerpt of any book. Mm. Cool. So I just excerpted the whole book. Chapter one, copies for everybody. Chapter two, copies for everybody. Yeah. And I broke it up with, with um, black authors in between. Right. So there was truly an excerpt. We we're going to read chapter one first, and then we're going to go and we're going to talk about Maya Angelou. And then we're going to read chapter two, right? And then we're going to talk about Tony Morris. Oh. I just excerpted the whole thing. We read the whole book. You can always find a way around. And if you can't, because I know we want to keep our jobs, right? If you can't find a way around, you might have to leave. You might have to leave into our prelim concert. You might have to start your own thing. 
you might have to start your own thing to really get free. The maddening part about all the good is that black parents, we know black parents. You have some black parents, I have some, she was like, cool. They always believe that education is the, the key to all of them. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. They Absolutely. Believe. Well, say it with your chest, you gotta get your paper. They can't take your degree away from you, you gotta get your education. And to your point about international, that's a diasporic foundational principle. Everything. Like you had these movements now where they're trying to break up foundational black people, African-Americans from, you know, those who come from the continent and the Caribbean. Uh-uh. We all believe that binds us believe. together. No matter how we got there, we all believe that yeah. education is the key. This is why it's so powerful. It's a transformative. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody is hungry for knowledge, and wherever we are, we're, we're soaking it up. What's maddening is, one thing that some people believe that education is not a priority for Black parents. I hate that. But two, that Black parents continue to send their children to schools that will not value them, mm -hmm. will not honor them, mm -hmm. will not teach them if they're not devoted to our education. So we're hoping against all data, against all confirmation mm -hmm. to the Latin. We're hoping that somehow, some way, our little diamond's gonna make it in a system that has consistently said, we don't want them. Don't care if Johnny makes it. Actually, we prefer to didn't. And that's what I mean. Right, I hate that we have to depend on schools that are not meant for us, and quite frankly, aren't good enough. Mm-hmm. So you your own. That's why you guys touch on, and that's where we will end this this conversation for us. Cause yeah, I'm so glad we reconnected. We will have to do this again. You know, um, a, at any edition at at the very least, but definitely soon, Doctor Rima. I thank you. It is so good to see you. Keep doing your thing. You are, when people talk about protect black women, you are the prime example that comes to my mind because you have, you have ascended to a place where you are so needed and necessary and are the perfect person for where you are. And I was so glad to read that when the, when the arrows and the slings came, there were people in that community who said, nope, 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 you're not coming for her. There was a, it was a, um, a Montgomery moment. Yes. August 10th, as I think of. Yes. Yeah, it was a, 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 I didn't even have to, to throw up the, um, throw up the um, heart or the, or bring up the <laughs> right? <laughs> but they all came and I, I felt so loved and protected to your point. Yes, yes. Well, Doc, I thank you. We will talk soon. And that is, you know, what we're going to do for taking notes this time. You got, you got extra helpings today. So thank you so much. Yes, indeed. Really enjoy being able to catch up with my friend, Dr. Rima and hear how she continues to stay grounded and connected to the people who really drive education, the parents, even from a position 
that on visual looks very far away and inaccessible to parents. So hopefully you took away some nuggets. I can envision having Dr. Rima back soon. That's all for taking notes for this episode, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.